Hi, friends. Welcome to the Not Your Parents Religion podcast. I am your host, Pastor Robert Young, where we provide biblical answers to today's tough questions. Now, this episode is going to be part two of how can I understand the Bible? Now, again, this is uh, a full, uh, this is a pre-recorded actual Bible study roundtable discussion series that we had a few years ago, but the information is 110% still relevant because the tools of the trade, as you will, of how to interpret the Bible are still the same. Now, join in with me and my co-host Kenya and, and Jill as we discuss part two on how can I understand the Bible? First Timothy 4, 8, part two. For bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Now, this is uh, actually question eight. You don't have it because I did the tweaking. Modern scientific method seems to contradict First Timothy 4 and 8. Explain why it does not. Think about this. And I've heard, I went to make a um, physical fitness presentation to a bunch of Christian folks once. And one of the elders stand up, stood up and said, well, the Bible says that bodily exercise profit is little. We don't need no exercise. And I'm thinking modern science has proven that not to be true. So what Paul said here, is it true or not true? Who are going to believe, modern science or Paul? Turns out, well, how do we prove what Paul, because let's look at the historical context. When did Paul make this statement? Right. When did he make, did he make it in 2017 or 18? No, he made it during a time where they didn't know what a gym was. Because they was doing all the manual labor themselves. They didn't have machines and things to do it for them. They did all that manual work themselves. So they didn't need that. So anything beyond that would have been profitless, right? Right. Right. There's no such thing as a couch potato or Netflix. They didn't have couches. They didn't have TV. When you don't look at the historical setting, you get this all messed up. Well, the Bible said, we don't bodily exercise, profitless little. I'm not going to exercise. And then they're in the prayer line every Sunday. That's something hurt. Broke something that was preventable mm-hmm. by proper diet and a little bit of movement. And remember, Paul was un- constantly walking from town to town. So him going to a gym when he got to that town was, well, <laughs> senseless. They didn't have gyms. You just walked 12 miles. <laughs> right, right. Now, they did, if I'm not mistaken, they did have the Olympics back then. What was the, the same Olympics that we have now? They started about 2,000 years ago. Remember, they were naked and all of that stuff. But that stuff was profitless because it was just for vanity's sake. Well, they didn't have to work out. They were already physically fit. Right. And I'm sure that some worked toward that. Right. And had a natural tendency toward those things. Now, let's look at it from the cultural context. We looked at it from the historical context. It's 2,000 or more years ago. The cultural context, I think you just shown it. Just their lifestyle. 
was enough physical activity. And they didn't have the over over sweetened diets that we have today. They, unleavened bread. You know what's, what's up with that? See, I ain't with no unleavened bread. No, I do that once a year. That's it for Passover. That's it. After that, no, I need a little fluff in my bread. They did us some research. I believe it was in that documentary we watched about sick and nearly dying. Yeah. Where they tracked when sugar came mainstream on the scene and how each generation after that got a little bit fatter, a little bit fatter, a little bit fatter, a little bit fatter. <laughs> but coinciding with that was the invent of the Industrial Revolution where you didn't have to walk behind a plow anymore with a mule where you had a machine that you sat on and it did the plowing. Mm -hmm. So now we've reduced the amount of movement we're getting. Mm -hmm. And now we're to the point where as a janitor, I sit on a machine. <laughs> Yesterday, I was on one that a riding vacuum cleaner. Yes, a riding, a zero turn riding vacuum cleaner. And I'm riding the thing and I'm thinking, this is the life. Because I got a, a whole lot of square foot footage to vacuum in this place. I mean, thousands of square feet. There's no way you could do it in, in an eight hour period. And I'm sitting there on this machine just, just riding. And it's, now imagine if I had to vacuum that by hand with a vacuum all day. I'd walk out there, the fittest person you ever seen. It'd be mm -hmm. like, look at him. Well, he works out. No, I, I go to work. <laughs> <laughs> so from the cultural standpoint, we see that it wasn't necessary. So Paul was true in what he was saying. Modern science is true in what he's saying. They're both right. But unless you look at the cultural setting in the historical setting. Now, literary setting, we know that he's talking just plain as day. And the original intent was further on in that same scripture, it says godliness is profitable. So the original intent was don't get caught up in other stuff. Just keep your focus on God. Is that not true today? Very true. Now, one of the questions we have here, let's go over some of the questions. Question number two. Um, Three rules of interpretation. Number one, you need to know the cultural context, the historical context, the literary context, the original intent of the author. Who was he talking to? What, did is he, what was he hoping to accomplish? Does it still apply to us today? And if it doesn't, can we still learn something, something from it? Of course. Of course we can. So in that essence, I guess everything does apply, but not necessarily directly. Because what he told, again... What he says to the wives doesn't apply to me because I'm not a wife. I'm a husband. But I can learn something from it. Now, explain the difference between a cultural and a universal principle. Simply put, a culturalist principle is an example. Uh, an example of a cultural principle is the circumcision. We don't have to be, us non-Jewish people do not have to be circumcised to be saved. That was specifically for that people at that time. What's a universal principle? Thou shalt not kill. Right? That applies to everybody who calls themselves a Christian and non-Christian. Because we even have laws to back that up, don't we? And you know that half or 90% of our laws are based on this book. At one point, I believe it was against the law to commit adultery. At one point, it was against the law to be caught in the act of homosexuality. 
Now, they had to violate your civil rights to prove that you were doing it, though. Because <laughs> it's usually not folks are walking down the street committing homosexual acts, right? Well, it's getting to that point, but usually it's not that way. So they had to kick your door down to catch you in the act. Ha! I caught you! And I'd hate to be that officer. Whether it's a straight couple or gay couple, I don't want to walk in and see that. <laughs> so anyway, the, a lot of our laws were based on the Bible. So, that's the difference between a cultural and a universal. And it's important to know the difference. There's also shades of meaning in the Bible. This is not complicated. It really isn't. And I don't want to present it as it as it's complicated. It really is not. When you read entire books, and remember what you've read Paul say in different books, or Peter or whoever, and what God has said and done in other books, you realize, wait a minute, there's no discrepancies in this thing. There's no uh, um, inaccuracies. Because I remember what he said over here in this book. And that's why it's important to read whole books at a time instead of just bits and pieces here and there. Because when you read bits and pieces, you're getting piecemeal. And what happens when you get piecemeals? You're part of person. So the Bible has shades of meaning. And I need an example and what it means. And the one that I always use is the word save. And there's an example. The scripture says, or Jesus said, a man is not without honor, save his own country. But then there's another, tons of other scriptures that said that you must do this in order to be saved. Same word, but used differently in a sentence. If you are stuck in your mind that the word save means this and this only, you're going to get confused. When I first read the scripture, a man is not without honor, save his own country. I'm like, wait, what? How does that make sense? How does that make sense? When you, when you realize that word, just like our English language, has shades of meaning, doesn't it? Can you think of a word for me? It has a different meaning depending on the context or the sentence in which you use it. Two. No, that's more of spelling. T-O-O -O or T-W-O okay. or T-O. Yay. Yes. Perfect example. Back in the 50s, gay mean, meant happy. You know, now it means Something else. Hmm. Very good. Number four, <laughs> number four. Why is knowing the historical and or cultural context so important? I think we answered that. Uh, number five, I'm taken out of um, subject here. What is the meaning behind the head covering practice? So I noticed my um, headquarters church, when they read that, they had some looks on their faces. Um, I think that the head covering is something that God allows, but it's not necessary for our salvation. Kind of like circumcision, he does say that women should have their head covered, but it, is, it doesn't affect your salvation. The meaning behind the head covering is what we want to see. And what is the meaning behind it? For a person to be humble. For a person to be humble. And if you're not humble, you don't care. You can have a head covering on your head and still be just as proud and arrogant as someone who doesn't. Is an outward shine, sign that you're humble under God. That's pretty much all it was. If you read everywhere it talks about head covering, it's an outward sign, a covenant between you, that woman, and God, that God is her head. Her husband is her head, and not in the way that modern men and modern people are saying, because they got it twisted too. And if they really read other scriptures where talk, Paul is talking about, the husband and wife and all of that stuff, they realize that, that 
they seem to be equal. Man, if a man loves his wife more than his own body, more than his own life, Paul is saying, how can he mistreat her? How can he think less of her? How can he do any of those things? So, and have you noticed that the women who are not humble, they have no problem going to work and being humble to their male boss, but then when they come home, they don't want to be humble to their husband. What's with that? I don't understand. And he's making demands on him, and he don't care one iota about him. Hmm. Where's that husband, if he's a good man? I'm not talking about the bad ones. Now. I'm not talking about the bad husband. I'm talking about the good ones. So, looking up the word humble and headship, that's another subject altogether, because I think a lot of us have that twisted and don't understand where the Bible is coming from with that. So, what is the meaning behind the head covering practice? Humility. Simple as that. Is it required for our salvation? No. Can we still do it? Of course we can. Can we learn from it even as a guy? Yes. And what is it? Humility. Because guys need to be humble too, right? Before God. Hmm. So when we were, were going back over to our headquarters church, I would tell my girls, listen, and I use this crazy example. We go over to Bobby's house. Bobby requires that everybody take the shoes off before they come in the house. Okay. What's the big deal? What Did it cost me anything to take my shoes off? No. Is it going to harm me? Nothing. I'm not even going to get into all asking Bobby, why are you asking me to take my shoes off? What, what's that about? Just take your shoes off and go have a good time with Bobby and his family. So when we go over to the headquarters church and they require head covering, put it on your head. So what? What's the big deal? We don't need to get lost in all of this stuff that really, that's part of the reason why we have so many different denominations now, because we've gotten lost in the little particulars that don't really matter in the first place. Some church said, well, God doesn't allow music in the church. Well, yeah, he does. Well, we're going to separate because we don't believe that music is, a, what? Really? We're going to separate because of that. Let's find something legitimate to separate for. <laughs> Okay, that is a non-issue. Or, or you know, the order of the service. What does the scripture give us a specific, a particular order that we have to follow? And if we don't follow that, then we ain't saved. That's crazy talk. Let's move on past that. What is a parable? We have a Bible handbook over there. That we could be researching. Parables, simply put, and I hope I don't oversimplify it. A story told usually by Jesus or somebody to illustrate a point. Instead of me coming up and telling Sean, Sean, you know, you need to do this, this, and this. I tell Sean a story. And Sean, being as wise as she are, says, probably later on when she's home washing dishes, listening to Boney James smooth jazz or something. What do you listen to? Not that. What, what do you listen to then? <laughs> Not that. Okay, she listens to Jay-Z hip-hop. No, Shirley Caesar. Shirley Caesar. She's listening to Shirley Caesar. She said, wait. You know what that little fool did? He tricked me. I get it, though. Uh, Nathan the prophet did it to, um, to David. David had committed a grievous sin with Bathsheba. So David or Nathan came to David. Now, remember, the king could have you killed if he wanted to. I don't care who you are, even the prophet. Even though the king was some kind of way accountable to that prophet, 
Honestly, Robert, you just did did it by using the Bobby story when you take go over to Bobby's house. It's his house, his rules. This is that's the parable, right? You just did, or is that different? It's kind of, but a little different. But but think about what David or Nathan did. He came in and told David this. He said, "There's a man that committed a terrible sin." He um, and he told him what the sin was, and he was telling him the story. And David got it. He was like, "Who is it? Oh, oh, we're gonna exact revenge or judgment on this person." He was talking about him though. And then then Nathan said, "You're that man." Yeah. And then it hit him. You're right pricked his heart so bad that he went and put on sackcloth and, <laughs> and ashes and, <laughs> and, and repented and yeah. begged God forgiveness and was just like toe up for a while. His uh, Some of David's servants was coming to him and said, listen, uh, it's, you, you need to eat something. I don't want nothing. He wouldn't eat. He, <laughs> he was just messed up for a minute. But the baby did die. And once the baby died, and I'm mixing two stories, but David washed himself and went, went on about his business. And this is the same man that God said is the man after his own heart. And he had committed a grievous sin. Give an example of poetry in the Bible. I'm going to let you research that one and come back next time and show me an example of poetry. Now, remember, poetry is not like the poetry that we're thinking of now. It's not like, because it doesn't necessarily rhyme like most of the poetry we have now. But there's examples, a whole book, or half a book of poetry in the Bible. So can it be taken literally? Maybe not. But can we learn something from it? Of course. Of course. So, in our conclusion, when we understand the cultural context, when it comes to interpretation, that is, the historical context, the literary context and the original intent of the author, it put things in different perspective. Hi friends, Pastor Young again. I hope that you got something out of the how can I understand the Bible episode on the podcast today. Listen, if you have been a faithful listener of this podcast and you've come to the realization after hearing these episodes that you want to know more about that Jesus that we're talking about. Well, as you know from listening to the podcast, that the process is very simple, but it must be completely sincere because God knows the heart. It simply says, God, forgive me of my sins because I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that Jesus Christ was born, raised, died, and is coming back again for his people, and he paid the price for my sins and the sins of the whole world that we could not pay. And I receive him now as my Savior. And Lord, I'd ask that you would fill me with the precious gift of your Holy Ghost that would start the sanctification process, that would help me to live a godly life, a, God, a life that is worthy of you, a life that I cannot live on my own righteousness. I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Now, friend, if you've said that with a sincere heart, I want you to know that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, there's a book up there that God has that he's writing our names in so that when we stand before him on that day, he'll look in the book and he'll say, well done, my good 
and faithful servant. But it doesn't stop there. I need you to go and find, do some research and find a Bible-believing church that preaches the unadulterated, unmessed around with, unfooled around with word of God. A church that believe in Jesus Christ. And if you need further clarification, please do not hesitate. Give us a call, 585-331-3424. We wait to hear from you. And we will see you again next time on Not Your Parents' Religion podcast with your host, Pastor Robert Young.